This is Channel 253. Channel 253 is sponsored by Alaska Airlines. I'm Nate Bowling, and I fly Alaska. To book your next trip, go to alaskaair.com. This is the We Art Tacoma podcast. Welcome back to another episode of We Art Tacoma. I'm your host, Eric Hanberg. I'm producer Doug. How's it going, producer Doug? Very well. That's good. Today we talked to Matt Vansel, uh, the screenwriter, sometimes director, sometimes producer with Zombie Orpheus Entertainment. They just raised a bunch of money for a web series. Um, they've done some movies, and they're based right here in Tacoma, which is pretty cool that we have a whole film studio here that a lot of people haven't haven't even heard of. So let's give it a listen. Well, we are here for an episode about filmmaking, and my guest is Matt Vansell of Zombie Orpheus Entertainment. Is that, did I get that right? That is correct, Zombie yes. Orpheus. Mm-hmm. Welcome to the podcast, Matt Vansell. Thank you, Eric. So I want to hear about uh, Journey Quest, which mm-hmm. is a uh, film web series that you have that you're going to start production on soon that just funded on Kickstarter. Congratulations. Thank you very much. How much was the total? Just to... We uh, we ended up with our initial ask was four hundred and thirty thousand dollars, which is larger a larger sum than we've done on any of our our films or, or series before, uh, and we managed to raise four hundred forty three thousand six hundred from about I think fifty six hundred backers worldwide. And that's for filmmakers in Tacoma. That's for filmmakers in Tacoma, Seattle, uh, Vancouver. Yeah, uh, we we started here, but uh, we have. Roots and members who are located throughout the region. Yeah, that's that's the tease for later in the episode because I just wanted people to hear a really big number and be like, "Wow, that's really cool." But let's back up and let's see how you got there. How's that? When was the first time you got interested in filmmaking? Well, I mean, it's 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 always been something that I was curious about. Going back just to uh, time as a kid when I would I would write plays and screenplays in middle school without any way to produce them sure. or any of that. I took a couple of uh, uh, doomed attempts to film things with friends when I was in seventh or eighth grade, mm-hmm. uh, even started a little a little film co- club in high school at Henry Foss that went nowhere because, you know, didn't, I didn't know then just how, how difficult an operation uh, managing a film set actually is, how many moving pieces there are, how many departments have to be working in sync. Yeah. It's not just something you wing. Um, uh, but it wasn't until college at PLU where I met the group that would become Dead Gentleman Productions and then later Zombie Orpheus Entertainment that I got to actually experience what filmmaking was like. And a lot of that is due to the work of Ben Dobbins, who is the uh, the filmmaker student at PLU when we were there and who we sought out with a script and no idea how to make it, who actually ran at the time, we can look back at it and say it was kind of a... a a proto Kickstarter. And this was early two thousands. This that, was this was nineteen ninety eight. I think it was when eight or eight or nine. I forget ninety eight or ninety nine. But uh, we thought we would just be using the school's equipment, and he said, "No, no, we need a we need a better camera than that." So, in about three days before we started filming, we managed to raise two thousand dollars to buy 
a Sony Mini DV cam. Oh, I remember Mini DVs. At those DVs, times, yeah. with the uh, with the re-recordable tapes and yeah. whatnot. And this was like this is the beginning of the digital revolution as far as as home video was concerned. Um, and I, I, of course, didn't realize what we were on the cusp of that that we were about to see a great democratization of the tools of filmmaking. Ben told me later that if we had filmed on traditional stock footage at the time, the, uh, the just the the stock itself minus processing fees. And anything like that would have cost thirty thousand dollars, wow. which which you know, just made it impossible, right? Sure. You, you, no one has that kind of change sure. lying around for for a, a passion project. But with the digital video cassettes that you could reuse, and they're ten bucks a pop, and then the camera itself was only two thousand dollars. And Ben went around and basically took pledges from faculty and family and friends, saying, "Hey, if 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 a hundred people give us twenty bucks, we can buy this camera and make this movie, and you'll get to come to the premiere in September." Yeah. So basically a Kickstarter before Kickstarter. And we pulled it off yep. and then made a couple of um, – And you wrote the movie. Is that right? Is I that did, what yeah. I understand? I've, I've been the writer. I, I moved into directing with the gamers. I've, I've not done that as much since as the films have gotten more complicated and as I've been on sort of a different path in, in life and whatnot. But um, at the time, yes, I was the I was the prime. Still, I'm the primary writer. The first two films that we did at PLU were a, couple, a pair of – Feature-length horror comedies, Demon Hunters and its sequel, Demon Hunters, Dead Camper Lake, <laughs> that were basically in-joke. The first one was basically an in-joke about life at PLU. Okay. Uh, I played Dwammer Thrax the Indestructible, and uh, the rest of my friends played the Demon Hunters trying to chase me down and kill me. Okay. Which they did eventually succeed in doing. Spoiler. Yep. And then uh, – but it was, it was such a hit – on campus for what it was. I sure. Mean, it's, it's, sure, 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 sure. As, as far as a uh, piece of filmmaking, it's not a good movie. It is a fun movie, though, especially if you've had a couple of drinks in you. <laughs> There's, I, I've seen many movies like that. <laughs> and then we made the, the sequel the following year. We went up to Holden Village, actually, and filmed up there. And for anyone who doesn't know, that's a little Lutheran community at the end of Lake Chelan that takes like a three-hour boat ride to get to. That's a great setting for a horror Gorgeous movie. location. We gave up our uh, – well, not gave up. I mean, we spent it. It's not like we lost it. But we, uh, we spent our spring break in – the year of 2000. So it was March 2000. We went up there. The snow was on the ground. We got to film a couple of, uh, of fight scenes and action sequences in the snow. Poor Matt Shimka's got hypothermia. Uh, the first of many times that's happened on set to him is his costumes always <laughs> seem to be so thin that he uh, he gets hypothermia. Wow. Yeah. So so at some point in there, then you made the gamers, which is the, that's the first time I became aware of of Dead Gentlemen. I mm-hmm. I think I'd started at the Grand Cinema as the director there a couple of years after the gamers came out. It had played at the at film festivals and it had yes. Yeah. So the gamers that was the first thing I directed, and it was uh, I wrote and directed, and it was a film about people playing a role playing game. In this in uh, in the original gamers, it was unnamed because we we didn't have any relationships with with the gaming companies then. We were just starting out, so it was a generic uh, RPG like Dungeons and Dragons. Like Dungeons and like Dragons. Like Dungeons and Dragons. And most of the um, filmmakers, most of the, the folks I'd met, Ben, Don, Nathan, and Stevie, all were uh, pen and paper gamers like myself. And no one had made anything uh, as far as in video media for that audience. I mean, the, the closest that came to it was the Mazes and Monsters 
a Tom Hanks film, made-for-TV film from the 80s that wow. was that I'm came out. I'm not familiar out. with that at all. It's not good. Okay. It came out during the height of the satanic panic, the idea that people who played these games were under demonic, sorcerous influences and would eventually lose themselves. Sure. Anything weird that youth are doing, it's always Satan. It's always there, Satan. Yeah. Right there. And the thing is, no, I mean, Satanism is part of Dungeons & Dragons, but not nearly that, that uh, pervasive. <laughs> What uh, what was that? You made that again around the PLU area. Yes. So so did that. That was I did that my senior year. Actually, my second senior year uh, at PLU. Uh, we filmed. It was a, a play within a play because okay. you have the players who are playing the characters sitting around the game table describing what they're doing and yep. arguing about what they're doing. Yep. And then that cuts to the reality of the video game, sorry, the video game, of the game world where yes. the actors are their characters having to justify what their players are doing. And uh, it lent itself to comedy because these games are inherently absurd. You know, you're taking turns fighting each other. You're yeah. pretending to be elves and wizards. Yes. Your you're great feats of strength, dexterity, and uh, deceit are determined by rolls of a dice that have an automatic success option. So you could walk up to someone and say, it is night in the middle of day, and if they fail their role, they will believe you regardless of... What, the truth before their eyes. Uh, there's a certain thing in the in the conceit that you're talking about that's very much like a like you know the recent Jumanji movie where mm-hmm. there's the, you know it is a comedic situation and you can really exploit that for for good jokes. The inherent absurdity of the game narrative, yes. Right, right. And so the, again, that was early 2000s. That was the Dead Gentleman at the time. It was the Dead Gentleman at the time, and uh, it was we didn't have any expectation that the film would do anything. Uh, other than just be a, a piece of fun, um, it was making I'd, it more for yourself almost. Yeah, than, exactly. Yeah. I, fig- I figured it would be something we'd take uh, take out of the closet every every decade or so and show to our friends and maybe get some eye rolls from future children. Yes. Um, and part of the reason we didn't think it would go anywhere was it wasn't even the length of something you could really sell at the time. It was forty five minutes long. Uh, most film festivals want something that's either less than a half hour or the feature length, right. length which is like 90 minutes, uh, wouldn't, if you were to try and sell it to a distributor, they were looking for at least 80 minutes to be considered a feature. So featurette is you know what it was classified as. But uh, when we edited it up, uh, Ben Dobbins did the editing, he started sending it around to some film festivals and it got accepted to a few. And that led to us presenting the film at Gen Con, which is the largest tabletop uh, gaming convention uh, in the world. It's in Indianapolis now every, uh, every August for four days. And we went out there and sold hundreds of them on DVD. Cool. Just found this, this niche community. And um, we never looked back. Yeah. Uh, that allowed us to get uh, to attract some investors to do a feature version of the film on the same concept. Where Gamers we actually, 2. Mm-hmm, Darkness Rising, which we uh, <laughs> which we, we we cast a wider net for casting and uh, started involving some of the folks from the uh, Seattle-Tacoma arts community and particularly the film community. Uh, it was a semi-professional production mm-hmm. and... We, uh, I wrote and directed that in 2004 after – no, sorry, 2005. And then r- pretty much after rap, I learned that I had been accepted into film school and we moved to Los Angeles where I attended the American Film Institute Yep. for us uh, and got my MFA in screenwriting. Uh, the film went on to 
uh, got onto Netflix first on disc and then in the early days of streaming when they were snatching up anything they could, which led to discovery by a much larger audience. Sure. And uh, that's kind of the, the modern state of Dead Gentleman and, and Zombie Orpheus uh, kind of owes its its genesis there to to um, the yeah. relative success of, of Darkness Rising. That's great. What I what I I think that's around the time that I as I said that I got to know Dead Gentleman. I was uh, the director at the Grand, and we did our very first seventy two hour film competition, which was modeled on the forty eight hour film competition, which mm-hmm. is a nationwide thing. But we were like, oh, Tacoma's still new to this. We need to give everyone an extra day. So we gave <laughs> everyone an extra day. Didn't know if anyone would show up, um, and Dead Gentleman did, and was one of the the competitors in that very first film competition and what i especially remember is it's like it's a lot of people just making you know like like they grab a camera it's them and a couple friends and then i saw dead gentleman filming and i swear you had you know you know everything but the catering tent like like <laughs> you like you knew what you were doing uh the professionalism that you learned from some of those earlier films was already evident at the time uh it was very cool to see that that was in tacoma that's when i as i said first first understood what what you really were about oh cool thank you yeah so um, you went away to to film school. Yes, got an MFA, mm-hmm. uh, and then came back at some point. I assume that's right. We came back in. Uh, we left Los Angeles in June of 2010. We'd been there for four years and eleven months. And if you're there for five years, you're officially from there. So okay. we got out just in time. Just in time. And came back to uh, Tacoma. And around the time, Ben Dobbins was forming a, a new company, Zombie Orpheus Entertainment, under the idea of releasing its material under a Creative Commons license such that uh, people could were free to download it, remix it, make their own fan versions of it. That's cool. It, it, really cool and, and innovative for the time. And that has evolved over the years into the Shared Cinematic Universe License Agreement, or the SCULA, which says you can borrow or you can make movies set in the worlds that Zoe has produced. Uh, Farther All, which is the setting for the gamers' movies and the web series Journey Quest, the Demon Hunters film as well is its own uh, Shared Cinematic uh, Universe License Agreement, and also Strowlers, the urban fantasy series that Ben has uh, uh produced and was the creative force behind uh, along with an entire team that is has won a number of awards wow. he's filmed uh, films in Mongolia in Ireland he's going back to Mongolia for another shoot there wow there are others in development in a number of, of nations around the world that's amazing it's it's pretty cool uh, it's a great idea to, to have a shared let people build in the universe that you've started. Or it's really, it's cool really neat. It's basically giving them permission to do what the internet does anyway, which is a lot of fan right, fiction. The fan fiction. Uh, the whole concept behind Zoe was: look, the the internet is good at making infinite, perfect copies of your material. So why are you know you will never be able to stop people from sharing it right. or downloading it or stealing it? Right, but. The reason people do that is more out of convenience than any, you know, skullduggery or whatnot. Totally. They want access to the material. So if you just give it to them, they will and ask for, you know, help support us via Patreon or via Kickstarter or whatnot. Enough of them will yep. at a higher enough rate that you can keep doing this stuff. Yep. And then just releasing it for free or, you know, DRM free under Creative Commons allows people who would normally be behind a paywall and not have access to it to not only have access to it, but then we encourage them yeah. to share it, remix it, 
download it, play with it yourselves. Very cool. There, you know, just embrace the fact that you cannot hide anything on the internet. Piracy is inevitable. Exactly. What um, what is Tacoma like, or maybe the Puget Sound like for filmmaking these days? What's your what's your assessment of of this community? There is there are a lot of advantages here, and one of the reasons I love filming in in, in Western Washington and. Uh, Tacoma in particular is because it has a lot of what Hollywood had originally that that attracted people to it. And you're basically two hours from any kind of terrain you could want. Mountains, forests, ocean, coastline, desert, desert the high plains, whatnot. You're, you're, you're two-hour drive away from any of those locations. Tacoma itself also has really good bones to it, you know. This is a town that that were it not for Seattle's explosive growth, might have been around that same size, but held neck and neck with them throughout most of the 19th and early 20th century. So we have a lot of the sort of older architecture and infrastructure that a place like Seattle has, but that Seattle is erasing in order to make yeah. you know more more corporate yeah. housing and, and and room for people. Whereas in you know Tacoma, you have these. I think that's the second largest city park outside of of. Uh, New York City. Unfortunately, I have to say that is a myth. It's oh, that still, is a myth. It's, it, it's still 700 and some odd acres. It's still a huge park, but oh. it, is, it is not the second largest out of New York City. I'm sorry. Well, that's too bad. I know. It really is. Sorry, to, sorry, listeners. I have you, to relearn that fact. I, sometimes I, I don't even correct it, but since we're on, on mic, I figured I should. Fair do, enough. Yeah. Right there. Well, it's a large city park. Absolutely. Uh, you have the old fraternal orders. You have... Um, I mean, the McMenamin's just taking over Old Town Hall. There, you have all these wonderful places that you can film, and because uh, up here also, unlike in LA, um, the cities, the locations haven't been shot out. Is the term everyone's? F- if you're a business owner in LA, your place has probably been filmed at one point or another, and you know there's no magic left in film, so you know to charge what you as much <laughs> as you can get from the productions that are coming here. But what we discovered when we first started was, you know, I went to, and this is. 2001, got in contact with people at Metro Parks because it was like, hey, could we film at Fort Nisqually? We have no money. Yeah. And I'm like, yeah, sure, here. And there's novelty forms. to that. Novelty to that, right, exactly. And so we were able to film in a whole bunch of, of places that added production value to uh, to the piece but didn't cost us something that yep. would wind up crippling the production. Do you think the talent's here in the, in the area? Oh, absolutely. I mean, the talent, we have people who work here, uh, make a living in film here, but the problem is there a lot of their, uh, well, let me back up. There's a good commercial scene in Seattle. A lot of commercials get filmed uh, in here. I'm, I'm uh, good friends with a, with a commercial producer and an assistant director who works on a lot of our stuff as well, Tony Becerra. Uh, but most of the production that's happening when you think of television shows or features or whatnot is happening in Vancouver or it's happening in Portland. It, we're, it's getting pulled either north or Ta- south. Tax credit us. stuff is doing that really, right? That's it, exactly. Yeah. Um, and as far as a statewide uh, film endowment goes, Washington's is actually pretty anemic. And it didn't used to be the case. You know, We used to have Northern Exposure and we used to have Twin Peaks filming in Washington yeah, State. Yeah, that's right. Uh, but uh, you know, for some reason, the, the the state legislature hasn't made it a priority, which is kind of shocking because the films wind up spending so much more than they get back in tax incentives, and we have a a population of filmmakers and crew who live here. Uh, there's enough to 
fund, I think, I think there was enough to staff at least two feature films at, at any time could be lensing in Washington State using Washington residents. And you wouldn't have any need to bring people from, from outside well, the market. And because of the tax credits, it seems like everyone – and because people want to set movies in Seattle. Mm-hmm. So they, they, they film in, in Vancouver. Yep. They call it Seattle. And then they move the crew to, to here and they get one shot with the Space Needle in the background. Space Needle and then Pike Place Market. And uh, show say, the f- but yeah, that's our – Yep. Show the Space Needle. Maybe go to West Seattle and – and and peer in and right. or uh, go to the go to the Pike Place Market show the fish throwers and then film in in Vancouver. And call it good, yeah. Yeah, all the all the shows set in in Seattle. I mean, aside from like Frasier was one that wasn't filmed in Vancouver, but no. was set in Seattle. But everything else is. Yeah, yeah. Um, well, that's that's good to know. And and I think even the presence of Amazon, I've heard, is helping our local film community simply because there is now a lot of money coming through them with their studios. Mm-hmm. And my understanding is is that some of the Man in the High Castle has been shot. They shot around the, here somewhere. They shot the pilot. The here. pilot here, okay. but then they went north. Ah, got it. They yeah. they aimed for the tax credits too. It's. I mean, it. Here's the thing: show business is a business. Yeah. And they're the whole point is to continue to make your product. I mean, one season of a show, one movie. You, th- you think of it as a production company makes one product once and has to sell it. And anything they can do that's going to optimize their chances yeah. of getting the return on their investment and getting to do it again, yeah. they have to do. Yep. Yeah. yep. It's just the cold, brutal, unforgiving mathematics of independent film. I get it. Well, we're going to take a, a quick break and uh, for a sponsor. And then when we come back, uh, I want to hear about Journey Quest uh, Season 4 and uh, what we can expect from that. This is Alaska Airlines Mileage Plan MVP Nate Bowling, host of the Channel 253 sister podcast, Nerd Farmer. Hope and I are setting off on a new adventure. We're moving to the Middle East for the next few years and exploring a new culture. Don't worry, don't worry. The Nerd Farmer podcast isn't going anywhere. But do you know what is coming with us? My Alaska Airlines mileage plan. Here's what's cool. Alaska has more than 15 global partners, which allows me to earn and use Alaska miles even when I'm not flying Alaska. So if I leave SeaTac and fly direct to Dubai on Emirates on an eligible fare, I'm going to earn Alaska miles on that flight. That means whenever I fly home, I'm going to be racking up some insane miles that I can use to book future travel. If you have an international vacation plan, check out the list of Alaska Airlines partners, like Japan Airlines, British Airways, Cathay Pacific, Qantas, and a whole lot more. Enter your Alaska Airlines mileage plan number when you book with Alaska Global Partners and watch those miles add up toward elite status on your next trip. My thanks to Alaska Airlines for their continued support of Channel 253. Learn more at alaskaair.com backslash global partners. And we are back uh, thanks to our sponsor and thanks to our members who uh, support our podcast, just like Zombie Orpheus Entertainment, we are supported by uh, the people who love us. So if you're interested in supporting, uh, you can go to channel253.com slash membership for $4 a month or $40 a year. Okay, that's my pitch. It's a good pitch. <laughs> Thank you. Uh, so let's talk about uh, what's coming up. There's a web series that you created several years ago. You started it called Journey Quest. Journey Quest, yes. And, and it was like several three to five minute long episodes, if I recall correctly. It's uh, more closer to five to seven. Five to seven episodes. Okay. So this was 2009 is when we first started developing this, and it, was, it wound up being the first project from Zombie Orpheus Entertainment. Okay. And uh, the idea was we wanted to try and catch the lightning in a bottle that we'd done with the gamers again, but uh, in something that was 
more of a narrative series than a, than a singular movie. And web series at the time were, were, were taking off. The best examples of those, right, that were uh, Felicia Day's The Guild, uh, The Legend of Neil by Sandy Parikh, Hell Holes, Joss Whedon's uh, Dr. Horrible Sing-Along blog. Dr. Horrible Sing-Along blog was so good. We were in this time where the, the writer's strike had just ended and it was, I think, YouTube was in its was in its uh, its beginnings. Yeah. We were before, we, but we were still before like heavy streaming use. Yeah. And so there was this interesting um, sort of halfway there niche that was evolving. That was the web series. This idea of doing we're going to do narrative a film, but make it native to the internet, which means make it quick, make it consumable, get to the point quickly. Don't bore your audience and get out quickly after setting up your next cliffhanger. Uh, so, which was kind of like the old 1930s serials before the movies, in a way, yeah. right? You know, so it's like it's resolve the crisis from last week, move your location around a bit so it doesn't get stale. You know, set up for a cliffhanger and come back next week. And yeah, and so just just like we wanted, we wanted to uh, increase our production value as much as we could, and we knew all these wonderful locations from filming the gamers movies. So we decided to do a fantasy comedy. Sort of like like instead the, of horror comedy, instead of horror comedy, and instead of uh, an RPG comedy. So basically, it was like the gamers movies, but with no players. It was just our elves and orcs and wizards off in the woods, and we filmed that. Uh, it turned out to be about the same length as the first season, the first gamers movie, about forty five minutes, seven episodes, and uh, we made the first season volunteer with a with a very small. Investment while small for independent film, and then we're able to make that back in donations by the fan base. And for season two, which we launched in 2012, that was our first uh, experience on Kickstarter. Okay, which we thought, okay, we you know the the first season, which no one had gotten paid, so it was just a matter of we're paying for, for materials, you know, costume yeah, pieces, yeah. catering, insurance, um, props, all that. And, and the invest and the initial investment was still thirty thousand dollars. Wow! So we wanted to do a ten episode series after that. So we asked for an, an initial ask of sixty thousand dollars on Kickstarter. On Kickstarter, and we wound up raising I think one hundred and eleven. Wow! Which sounds like a lot, but the thing about Kickstarters is, and it is a lot. I'm going to give sure, you that. Sure, sure, Having sure. Kickstarted novels, I can tell you that is that is a lot of money. Uh, and so, and people wonder, well, where does it all go? Yeah. Well, one, you have a whole bunch of rewards you need to create, DVDs. Uh, costume pieces, uh, paraphernalia from the set. That has clear like that. expenses tied to that. Exactly. And then you look at, you know, well, okay, so that leaves you with a production budget of, of let's say you have $200,000. That sounds like a lot of money. Except, you know, you may have 50 cast and crew people who are doing 20 days on it each. And if you are going to pay a minimum wage of, you know, $100, $150 a day for 12-hour some days, it vanishes very quickly. Plus, Kickstarter gets a percent too. It does. It does. It's about ten percent. Oh. So, uh, or at least it used to be around eight. Originally, it was I think Kickstarter took five percent and Amazon took three percent because they were using their online shopping cart. Got it. Uh, it's around eight to ten percent still. Okay. So, sounds like a lot of money. Doesn't actually go that far. No one's getting rich on this. It's, right. It's, it's a passion project. Except but, the screenwriter. The screenwriter always gets absolutely, yeah, 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 and they deserve every penny they get. <laughs> so, so you funded, and and mm-hmm. you told me something before we started recording that that it was briefly the the number one film project on Kickstarter. Uh, that was not Journey Quest two. That was Gamers three. Gamers three. Gamers Sorry. three. So the third Gamers was was Hands of Fate, and we did that the same year that we did Journey Quest season two, and we're never doing two big projects that again in the same year. Uh, we needed, I think it was. 
320,000 to make that film and we wound up raising 405. Wow. Or 406. And for a brief moment, for about 36 hours, we had the highest grossing Kickstarter film, a feature film. Yeah. Uh, 36 hours later, Charlie Kaufman's animated short film uh, took that from us. Yes. And, and after that, I think it was within the next year or two, Zach Braff did his Garden State sequel. Is that uh, what it wasn't it was? A, it wasn't was actually it? a sequel. Wish You Were Here oh, or something like okay, that. Okay, right. But but but, but yeah, he, similar vein. Yes, exactly. And raised like $2 million. And then there was the Veronica Mars yep. movie, which was, again, I think like a, a 2 to $4 million oh, that feature. That one just yeah, blew things out of the water. But we remained. We were the first the first company to uh, raise, to break the $400,000 barrier. That's amazing. For a film. And you just broke it again for the gamer, or sorry, not gamers, for Journey Quest Season 4. Journey Quest Season 4, that's right. 444? 443. Yeah. Yeah, 443,600. What does that buy? Well, this time it's 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 different this time around. I need to 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 give context for it. I need to go back to, to season 3. So, you know, season 1, nobody got paid $30,000. Season 2 raised 100 and and 10, 111, and we were able to pay just the bare minimum, and it still wound up costing way more than that. Oh. Uh, once all the all the rewards and all the finishing and 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 whatnot. Uh, I mean, you can bring a, a, an actual producer in to to, to talk uh, the specifics there. You know, I'm I'm more on the creative side yeah, than yeah. on the on the uh, logistical side. Journey Quest season three, we kickstarted four years later, in 2016, and that was a big jump because the previous the previous one had been we'd raised 111. This one we needed, I think it was. Oh man, I don't even remember. It's a couple hundred thousand. Like yeah, it was, it was about 400, yeah. I think, and we met, we just pulled it off. Like 36 hours before the end end date, we were about $150,000 away. Wow. And I think it was 100000 in the last day, and it got us there. And what made that – that felt like the milestone or the turning point for the series, that we would actually be able to, to complete it because the series was going to be five seasons. Okay. And after three, um, we had – you know, season one was mostly comedic. Season two had comedic and some dark elements in it. Season three was when we really were able to show where the series was going. Um, and it ended on a, a major uh, turning point. I think I may have mentioned there. No spoilers. But after that show came out was when Zoe got its catalog onto Amazon Prime. And Amazon Prime, as a streaming service, we'd gone off of, of Netflix because once they had... Um, started developing their own material. They didn't want as much third-party yeah, stuff. Yeah, yeah. So uh, we lost that as a platform. But then we gained Amazon Prime and with them gained a huge new worldwide audience of people who would come in, discover the films, the gamers' movies, and the three seasons of Journey Quest and Strowlers, watch them all, go over and join the Patreon the same day, say, I, I, I love this material. There's no one making stuff like this for, for our community. How do you do this? How can we help more, make more of it? And we said, well, here, you, yeah. you'd spread the word. Here are the Kickstarters we're running now. And uh, that allowed Zoe to hire me to write the final two seasons, which I uh, did last year. And now we are up to season three. Well, but the final two uh, scripts came in and season four was so big in its scope that we wouldn't have been able to film it based on what we could raise in a Kickstarter. Just the projections weren't there. Okay. And nobody wanted to cut anything because we had – we would have meant basically shaving bone. Uh, there was there was yeah. nowhere else to cut. There was yeah. no more fat to trim. And there were long character arcs that we'd set up that people cared about quite a bit. Sure. We had some um, 
fans who really identified with with some of the characters who were on the on the chopping block because their their storylines were the ones that were least connected to the big bird's nest mishmash of, of interlacing other stories. So we ran a, a mini Kickstarter last year for Journey Quest 3.5 that would just allow us to film those scenes that would otherwise be cut and would also fund a world guide Bible that I would write to help basically familiarize anyone who wanted to make their own material in the world. Oh, cool. This is the shared universe This thing. is the shared universe, yes. And so that was successful. Let us get those side stories done and then just pulled off the Kickstarter to get the bare minimum for, for to make four happen. Yep. But in the meantime, uh, over the last couple of years, Ben has migrated to Canada where he has a lot of family and whatnot. And so now we are finally uh, eligible for some of those Canadian tax, tax incentives. Exactly. <laughs> and I mean, just, just to give you an example of, of what that means, we could go up there and almost double our production budget Is there, I, by incentives that's that would come back to us or, or, that's or amazing. tax refunds. Yeah, for money we spend up there. Now, of course, it comes with, with a caveat. And that is that you have to hire so many above-the-line people who are Canadian citizens because they want to keep those funds yeah, yeah, in the yeah. area there. So uh, this season will be directed by Joanna Gaskell, who is the creator of Standard Action, a very clever and funny web series up there in Vancouver. She's been in a couple of our, our pieces uh, before. In fact, I've directed her a few times. She was in The Gamers, Humans, and Households from 2013. She's going to direct season four I love your titles. I just want to say that. They're great. <laughs> Thank you. I mean, when you when you have a have a franchise that's working, just humans and households is a great parody of Dungeons and Dragons. Just it's the really fan, like it. The fantasy characters sitting around playing people in our world. <laughs> and I haven't seen that one. I'm gonna have to look it. for it. Oh yeah, it's 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 great. So you have a wizard, a warrior, and you know, playing a let's say who is it? The knight is playing an athlete named Flex Mastodon. <laughs> I love it. And they they yeah they have trouble. You know, crossing the road, they don't understand what the traffic signals mean. Right. You know, they expect traps are everywhere. Of course. It's, so so with uh, Journey Quest 4, when are you going to start filming? That's likely going to be September or October. Okay. So it's coming up really rapidly here. Yeah. And I'll be uh, I'll be a creative producer on the set for that. Uh, the sh- sort of executive producer, showrunner there, uh, sort of a, a guiding vision, you know, because I've got all five seasons Notes on all five seasons and how the series is ultimately going to conclude. Right. And um, the director is there specifically for this season to to uh, bring it to life with a co- with a coherent vision as well. That's uh, great. Yeah. It's and, and a release date whirlwind. estimated. Well, I expect that we'll we'll be in we'll be in post production for months, which <laughs> post production always takes longer than than people expect. We've had some people <laughs> bless them. Uh, not experienced with film who you know, they got the Kickstarter updates that filming is done and two weeks later they're like, well, where's the movie? How long does it take to edit something like yeah. this? Uh, yeah. It takes months and Doug, months. Doug knows editing. What, that's that's like five minutes, right, Doug? Doug he does audio editing. He That's that's a breeze. Yeah. So, yeah, it's, it'll take a while because first we have, to, we have to reach picture lock yep. so that all the different uh, post departments can be working from the same – um, it's this, the same cut and everything's timed off of that and then right. we'll have, it'll go through color timing, uh, visual effects, sound design, music, and uh, I feel like I'm forgetting one, which is why I'm not a producer. It's it's good. Yeah. Let's tell someone else. I'll stick to the clacky typey. That's right. What uh, Now that you have those two seasons, what are you, work, what are you working on? Uh, right now I'm working on the world guide. Uh, which is has been work, I've been plowing away at for for the last several months. I'm just nearing nearing the end there, and 
then I have a novel to finish uh, as well, which uh, was kickstarted uh, back in September. Thank you. That is very cool. Um, One of the things that I like to do at the end of an episode is to give a guest a chance to give a shout out to someone or an organization in Tacoma that is doing good work. Doesn't have to be anything related to you. It could just be you like what they do, but is there an organization? Is there a person that you just think is like really great that you just want to give a, a shout out to for the audience to hear? I'll give a couple. Uh, Grit City Magazine. Yeah. I've been really impressed with uh, with each of the issues that they've put out, with the art that comes uh, bundled with that as well. Yep. I find, and I like that they're not pulling their punches. I mean, Tacoma does have an ugly side to its history as any as any city does. Yep. And it's important to, you know. We have some real doozies in there too. Especially. Yeah, yeah, the real doozies as well as as the flowers and the, the feel-good stories. So uh, kudos to them for, for producing a Tacoma-based magazine that's giving us the full picture of the city's character. Yeah. Good Instagram account too. I'll just Absolutely. There. And also Tacoma Night Market, yep. which I've been able to attend, I think, uh, three out of the last five months or so. I love cool. that. It's this, you know, once... Once a month for five hours over at Alma Mater, and you never know which vendors are going to be there. So it's, yeah. it's got a real we, sort of feel like a ticking clock. We did an logo. episode with them March or April, I think. And uh, yeah, yeah, absolutely. If people want to learn more about uh, you or Zombie Orpheus Entertainment or the gamers or Journey Quest, where, where would you point them? Probably the best place to go would be uh, the Facebook or the Instagram accounts. I'd look for Zombie Orpheus or Zoe. Uh, Twitter as well. I uh, forget which is the official site to send people to. Oh, you should also look at the Fantasy Network. So the Fantasy Network is a joint operation between Zombie Orpheus and some other uh, independent f- uh, film production companies that create fantasy-specific uh, content. There's The Forge, there's Aerostorm Entertainment, and uh, if you can find the Fantasy Network where I think most of the shows are available for free, or aren't behind a paywall, but if you do go behind the paywall, then you um, can get, see the stuff earlier. And nice. I may have that wrong. It may be that the stuff at, uh, at the Fantasy Network is behind the paywall, but it does eventually get released to other uh, vectors like uh, YouTube and whatnot where right. where there is no paywall. Okay. Okay. Well, I just want to say once again congratulations for uh, getting Journey Quest Season 4 uh, funded. And uh, I'm excited to see it, and uh, thanks for being on the show. My pleasure. Thanks very much. Well, once again, thank you so much to Matt for uh, taking the time to come to the studio with us today. Um, I'm definitely going to have to check out uh, Humans and Households or whatever that is. <laughs> that, sound, that sounds awesome. Um, what, uh, what I'm looking forward to this weekend is uh, Ethnic Fest. It is Ethnic Fest, right? Ooh, did it I, is. Did I get that right? It yeah. is. Always good food, lots of good music. Um, so... It's coming up this weekend. Hope hope I'll see you guys there. You know me. I'm drumming. <laughs> <laughs> Playing with Billy Stoops and the Dirt Angels at the Spar on Saturday. Okay. Channel 253 is sponsored by Alaska Airlines. I'm Nate Bowling, and I fly Alaska. To book your next trip, go to alaskaair.com. This is Channel 253.